Valve equipment is designed specifically with the MSK clinician in mind to help you accurately measure outcomes. Dynamometers, force plates, a really awesome force frame and more at affordable prices. These really are a necessity in any good clinic. ValveHealth.com for further information on all their devices. Or you could guess. Siobhan, welcome to Chewing It Over. Why should MSK therapists care about breasts? Oh, Jack, thank you for having me. Um, basically because it's part of a woman's body, part of a girl's body, and it's a part of, or they are parts of our bodies that for some reason have been ignored traditionally. When we look at kind of what we learn in anatomy in our undergraduate studies, and this is the reason why I've ended up putting on CPD courses, it's to fill that gap because it's like the two elephants in the room. For some reason, it just doesn't get mentioned at all. And one of the things that I've learned since I've started looking into the area is the effect is huge on posture, on alignment, on our ability to withstand gravity. So we will spend time doing rehab with people. We'll spend time talking to people about going to the gym, talking about strengthening various different muscles. And yet we're ignoring the fact that gravity has a, an, a pull that is going to act down on a body part that is outside of that alignment. So unless we do something about that, then we're really, for me, doing people a disservice. Yeah, I'm really keen to understand the detail on that, because as you mentioned just off air about the fact that I think earlier in my career, I think I've maybe err on the side of not um, weighing in with questions like that, of, uh, of sort of maybe a squeamishness to some extent, being being male and maybe not wanting to ask a question that then might leave me out of scope. And now, now it's less less about that, I'd admit, and more to do with the fact that really my depth of knowledge, it's probably shallow knowledge in that space in, in such a way. And so um, I think this is going to be really useful for us to try and make sure that then we lift people um, away from that that sort of narrow not just narrow scope, but narrow insights into where these things are, are, are valuable. Where do you think, um, I suppose, could you just give us a give us an insight into how you ended up with a special interest in this direction? That might help us to understand it further. Yeah, sure. So I started my life as a PE teacher. So my background has always been being involved with sports and activity. And in my final year of training as a PE teacher, we were introduced to more in-depth exercise physiology than we would have had in school, for example, um, but also sports injuries. And I kind of got really interested in that concept and kind of thought, you know what, I do want to learn a little bit more about this and looked into how I could get more of a qualification within that area. Uh, cut a long story short, ended up in the States doing my master's over there and got a professional qualification over there called uh, athletic training, which is a very specific um, musculoskeletal degree and qualification um, within the sport and activity field. So very focused on keeping people active, very big focus on prevention. And that was huge for me because I've always been about stopping the fire from starting in the first place. For me, it's it's very important to get to know the person, which is now what's happening because we're looking at all this biopsychosocial side of things nowadays. But I suppose back in the era when I started, uh, it was a little bit more about fighting fires, I think, in terms of um, a lot of the treatment that would have been perhaps happening. And now there's a much greater understanding because we've learned more about uh, treating sources and getting to the root of causes, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's something that 
I mean, gosh, Ed, you, you wouldn't talk to a physio nowadays who doesn't do that. Um, and it's great. That's fantastic. And that was very much where I was coming from 30 years ago, kind of trying to go, well, why is this a problem? And why are we ending up with X, Y and Z as issues? And when you work in an environment that the environment that I was in was a, was a high school where sports were every day of the week and um, games to times a week possibly so you have a very high exposure to the risk of athletic injury and therefore there was a huge push back in those days and still is on preventing injuries so you were coming at things from that preventive perspective so I've always been very forensic that way I then ended up coming back over um, across the pond um, ran a clinic in Lancashire in the uh, 90s um, and our focus there was initially sports medicine and sports science um, connecting those two fields. And then we kind of graduated more into general physiotherapy. And when I moved back to Ireland, which is where I'm originally from, as you might be able to tell from the accent, um, <laughs> it's come back. Um, the, my, I felt I had been doing more and more work with people, talking to them about how through no um, intentions of their own and through really blissful ignorance, a lot of the issues that people were coming into me, which were may maybe not necessarily sport, but sometimes the basis for a sport problem, were self-inflicted. So it was the sitting for hours in one position. It was the forward head. It was the, you know, potentially being at the end of their tether biomechanically in terms of the position that they were in. So just started to do a little bit more work, I suppose, in the posture field. And then just one day had a bit of an epiphany in terms of seeing the well feeling for myself because I had a bra fitting done. That was my first time having one done. I was in my mid 40s. I'd read about them, but it had never been anything that I kind of figured oh, I'm small enough. I don't need it. Error, by the way, big, big common misconception that. Um, but I went and I had one and I walked out of that place an inch taller. I mean, I, I say this to people, uh, anybody who's listened to me before be, will be fed up of hearing this, but I was in London and I was going to the prams and I would have gone up on stage with them if they'd asked me to go up on stage. I was so full of confidence and I was playing international rugby at the time, so I wasn't exactly lacking in confidence, but it was the psychological effect that it had on me that made me feel taller made me feel stronger and made me feel well I was ready to take on the world but I started literally as we were walking from the store back to the Royal Albert Hall I remember thinking god if I feel like this what's this going to do for my patients so I then started to look at my own practice which was by default it hadn't happened any other way um a lot of women with upper back and neck pain and I was kind of going well why have I more women than men with upper back and neck pain and actually when you look at the research we know through evidence that women have more back and neck pain than men and when you read the studies they talk about some of the potential reasons they don't mention the two elephants in the room completely ignored <laughs> and I'm like I think one, of the, one of the things one of the things I'll admit as well as i'm thinking about it is another reason as to why i might not have as much insight into this area as i'd i'd potentially like or should have is because a postural a postural model has ended up skewing 
over the wider biomechanical uh, literature towards a sort of capacity model rather than a plumb line correct, incorrect type model. That's the, the, the sort of maturing of our understanding. And I think, yeah. therefore, there's an element of complacency that comes into that, that, where because it matters less, sometimes it can therefore not matter at all, which we know would be clumsy and, and my practice doesn't represent that. But because, therefore, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have been long ago that I might have been needing to know that because, of course, those forces would need to uh, be dissipated anyway and therefore they could never they, they would always be relevant rather than never relevant now that it's sometimes relevant that gray area means that sometimes we can probably be a bit complacent and i wonder if that's something that's happened whereby because there's been a movement and a, by my taste a sensible movement away from good bad plumb line very specific narrow kendall-esque traditional postural model the the swing towards a more capacity based one still means that in certain circumstances, certain biomechanical factors and certain pathologies and conditions and pains, there's no reason why these wouldn't be incredibly uh, relevant variables. And, and these, of course, being said said elephants in the room that you mentioned it. Yeah, and and like I 100% agree with you in that. And when I started this, I have to say the only time I have been a bit nervous in my life was the fact that I was talking about posture and I was saying, well, actually, posture is important. And I initially I was a bit reluctant to stand up on the parapet because I knew I'd get shot down. But then I kind of thought, you know what, at the end of the day, we need to be sensible and logical about these things. You're 100% right. It is about capacity. But if you have a more extended thoracic spine, you have greater respiratory capacity. Your pelvic floor function is better. So it's not about the rigid having to stick to this plumb line. It's about having somebody be as functional and as capable in their structural function as they can be. And it's about, I think it is incumbent on us to educate them into how they can do that. I My feeling over time is that the biomechanical baby has been thrown out with the bathwater to an extent that it's almost been ignored. Like you said, it's, now, it's not a question of it not being relevant at all. There, it is relevant, and I, and I would say it's relevant for everybody. It's just the extent to which it's relevant and right. the, the amount of focus that it needs to get but if we look at again look at the evidence look at the research whether the word posture is the right word or not it might be that the word alignment is a better word but if you look at functional capacity and you look at it through a biomechanical lens then being at the end of your biomechanical tether is not a good place from the point of view of injury and also if you look at it from a, a psychosocial lens there, there is evidence that shows that when people are in a more slumped situation, that their ability to um, recall positive memories is less. It's easier to recall negative memories. And then the other being the other. So if you're more upright, you can get more. So there's there's also quite a lot of influence on mood with the position that, that, has, we, that, the position been... that we are in. So whether you've been a really interesting variable. Yeah. Mm. So so I I kind of went, you know what? People do move better and feel better if they are not in a negative. And maybe that's more what we need to be looking at, as opposed to trying to make it perfect. Nobody wants a perfect, rigid, unafraid or afraid to move situation. It's about helping that person to be more functional in whatever way that is. So to to tie that back into the breast, sorry, I've gone off. Um, That's all right. It's it's very much about how breasts then um, affect the position that somebody is in. 
and how long maybe they're in that position for it is an, is it an issue for another day's talk but certainly with women there is a weight that is pulling us down and unless we actively do something to withstand that weight then we are giving to gravity and if you're giving to gravity then something is going to be paying the price whether that's scapular protraction, whether that is, you know, kind of left scap in terms of forward head, there will be something that is having to work over time to compensate for that position. Is that compensation necessarily pathological in your opinion? So I can follow all that you've described there, but then I can also think that only in certain circumstances would that be particularly relevant to pain and injury to my taste, because I feel like to some extent, that that capacity as i think where where you definitely have me was re, with regards to when people are so complacent with regards to spinal posture that then someone has lost an extension range in their thoracic spine that would be really difficult to return um, and obviously outside of things like as and other other conditions of which that creates true rigidity um so that 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 i definitely follow and i think that there's been times where i've swung on that pendulum too far and i'm not there now but when it comes to the fact that over time someone might then create adaptations that's the bit where i don't necessarily then link that to say pathology or problems inherently but that may well be a difference between us what, what are your thoughts um, I, I think it's one of those things in research that's always going to be very hard to prove, isn't it? And I mean, where there is in the initial uh, outpouring of academic evidence-based research in terms of posture related to pain. And, and it's really interesting because some of the authors of some of those studies have other studies that show that there is a link between posture and pain. So I have some studies saying there is no link and then you have others saying there is. But pain is such a multivariate concept and humans are so multivariate that I think we're never going to be able to go it is a you know it is a cause and effect sure. in that situation um but what's really interesting is the functional capacity side of things is very much affected by the positions that people are in so like I said earlier respiratory pelvic floor performance so we've got the University of Portsmouth has a breast health research group, which has been really, really productive. Uh, they started in about two, in the 2007, eight, nine, I think I'd remember. Um, and they have been really good from the point of view of um, academic work. And they're now starting to apply a little bit more clinical kind of uh, focus to that. I think originally they were, you know, they are a, a Department of Biomechanicians, so very biomechanically focused. So that's fair enough because that's their gig. Um, and that's where they were looking at. They were looking at modeling how breasts move and so on. Um, and I've obviously been in touch with them quite a bit. And, and we've talked about looking at some clinical applications and, and how to do a little bit more of that. Um, and as you know, because you'll, you'll know about the way academia works, sometimes you're just waiting for the right funding to come through to be able to do those studies that you're going, you know what, this is really, really key. Can we look at this? But that aside, um, from the point of view of performance, poorly supported breast weight will affect stride length, has been shown to affect stride length. So it can affect how people perform at any level of sport. So not just elite sport, but when you look at what we're trying to make, the differences we're trying to make in elite sport, and you look at the fact that there's a four centimeter stride length difference when somebody is poorly supported versus well supported, that's a difference of 12 minutes over a marathon. That's a that lot. Makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, before, yeah. I, I want to make sure we don't 
push away from it because one of the things that was really interesting about your story from from going to the proms and stuff and out of following your bra fitting and stuff kind of speaks to some of what could be one of the variables affecting said performance is that the comfort there's, there's the comfort element there's then raw biomechanical elements but then there's also this there is this phenomena of posture and mood and the way in which that that can lift lift people's confidence in lots of different interesting ways if we can sort of try and marry those up briefly in that how much of an element do you feel it being not just a postural factor that would then affect men similarly, let's say if they've made that improvement, but the fact that the, the breasts as a, um, as a interesting, let's say sociological organ in a sense. So how much it might mean that then to a woman, they would also then perhaps feel more attractive. You could imagine in certain contexts of which it could actually go the other way and they might feel a bit more exposed, a bit more vulnerable. They're actually standing better, but, they, but in the wrong context, it could end up, I won't say backfire because it'd still be a positive intervention for their health. And we'd want to try and work that through. But I can so imagine that it is a it is a unique body part in lots of ways, and that that's one of the things that might, may well be affecting performance and mood variables. And I wondered, do you feel from your own experience? I know it's a while ago, but from your own experience in that story, do you think that that was one of the sort of elements at play when things like that do seem to turn a corner? Hundred percent. And I'm I'm going to answer that question in in a few sections. I'm going to take a couple of things that you said there, if that's okay. Cool. So, just the effect in terms of movement right what i was saying there in terms of the elite and performance side that also affects participation so there are a huge number of women and the number is huge like portsmouth did research and it was 17 percent. and their research was the first time that anybody had mentioned breasts as a potential barrier to exercise first time it was even in the literature wow was 2014 so first time it was included as a tick box tick box it became the fourth most common factor for women not exercising and 17 percent of the women there said that their breasts were were a barrier to exercise and already we know that not enough women are getting their recommended um you know healthy exercise allowance if you like so what we have there is one in five women who have indicated maybe only just realized, maybe not even realized before, possibly, I don't know, that their breasts were a barrier to them participating in activity, okay? If we then take that on to what you were saying about effectively the sexualization of breasts, which has been a huge thing sociologically over the years, larger breasted women have been subjected to sexual harassment all through their lives. And they will tell me about this and they will also say, I don't want them front and center because I'm trying to hide them. So you will now notice a lot of women wear a scarf that they put around their neck and they let the ends of it hang down right and left, which is effectively to cover their breasts. A lot of women will go to the back row in photographs and they'll turn sideways on and they'll put their arm across their their body because they don't want their breasts to be seen because they feel that their breasts are what people are looking at. I even spoke to a woman yesterday and she said, she said, I want people to look at my face. I don't want people to look at my boobs. Right now, that's a thing that a lot of women have had to put up with and girls over all their lives. And so a lot of women do have a really poor relationship with their breasts because of that. So when I then talk to them about what effectively is what we do is we help them to take ownership of their breasts. We help them to um, to learn about breast weight management. And that's where the posture side of it comes in because they learn to manage that breast weight actively 
and passively. So actively is through muscular control, neuromuscular control. Obviously, don't say that to patients in those words, but teach them that. Yeah, I'm um, and then they also get the passive side of the optimal graphic. But part of this for me was like when I when I kind of twigged it all first and I was like, OK, I realized that a lot of my patients are in poorly supporting bras. That's not helping them for their back and their neck pain for for them to recover, for the work that I need them to do to help them to recover. I will send them for an optim for a bra fitting. And that's where the problem came in because, and I do not mean any disrespect to any of the retailers with this. There's a technique that started in the forties for measuring that is still being used in some places. The training level of the person that you go into in a shop, you have no idea whether they're gonna use that technique because they don't tell you. Uh, you know, well, I now know by the bra, they'll tell somebody that they need to be in. Um, but you just have no idea. And a lot of women are intimidated by going into a shop for that purpose, whereas they're right. a lot more comfortable with their physios in that situation. Yeah, so, yeah. But I was thinking, OK, I'm going to send people out. And again, I mean, I know I keep coming back to there is research, but because I now teach this as a CPD course, I have a lot of the, the evidence bases behind this in Lancashire. Um, there was a study done very recently, um, a PhD, and the uh, researchers sent people out to be professionally bra fitted, and 67% of them who came back were still in the wrong fit. So they'd gone out in their in their own fit, which was incorrect. 100% of their subjects were in the wrong fit for them. They sent them out. They said, just go and get fitted and come back to us. Two thirds of them came back still in the wrong fit. Having been, and are we call are we calling it wrong by comfort? Are we calling it wrong by biomechanical sort of best standards? So what what what's the, where's the wrong? So there are no criteria of best fit, which is a combination of support and comfort. And I'm right. really glad you said that because you can be comfortable in something that isn't supportive, and that's what's happened, is that there has been this kind of fall in particularly over covid to oh i just want to be comfortable but you can be comfortable and supported and well there's the there's, the, there's the there's the ultimate sort of meme from what i have heard where, where it's like taking your bra off at the end of the day um and and so but that that again it's almost like i like my i like my getting home and putting my slippers on but i wouldn't want to wear them up a mountain right the context matters as to you know the you you, you trade off you trade off relative comfort depending on the function don't you and so therefore that's where um sometimes people i can so imagine it being a, a sort of assumption that therefore uh less less is less is better because of that phenomenon of feeling a relief at the end of a, of a day but from what i've spoken to, to friends colleagues and, and some patients about is that to some extent that that relief is sometimes because of um poor bra fitting and it's it's the discomfort it's, so it's a relative release from the discomfort that they sometimes feel a massive aha moment when they're actually in well-fitted bras and again i mean again that is absolutely right because initially when i saw those memes i used to get really frustrated and like there's loads <laughs> of stuff on social media where you know somebody some influencer would put something up about going braless and everybody would be like oh that's me that's the only way i'm comfortable and i want to contact every single one of those women and go it does not have to be this way if you are wanting to take your bra off it's not the right fit you shouldn't be aware right, that you're wearing right. it. I mean, I am sitting here now. I am not aware of anything. If you're aware that you're wearing it, then it is poking in somewhere that it shouldn't be doing. That's and right. that's, that's, your, right. that's your classic comfort, support. They are not mutually exclusive. 
you can wow. have both of them together and like i've had women who've when they've been in their optimal fit with their optimal alignment cues so doing that active and passive situation I literally have had women say, I don't know I'm wearing anything right now. And that's been a revelation for them. And they will stand in front of the mirror and to go back, this is kind of coming back to your to your question. So when I started this, being a physio and not being interested in the aesthetics, I was all about feel better, move better. Okay. The fact that people look better when they stand in the mirror and that effect that that has on them is massive. So when I walked out of that shop, I wasn't looking in a mirror going, look at me, I'm fabulous. In fact, to be honest, because of the size they put me in, which was only double DE, I thought I was going to be on page three of the sun the next day. But in my head, double DE was that kind of size. Now, the average size is is double DE and, you know, it's definitely not B's and C's, which is what most women are in. So most women are in right. B's and C's, not most, not, not all, but um, a lot of women are in B's and C's because that's what the shops sell. So they end up just buying them. So if ah, you were okay. to do a random, I'm not suggesting that you do this at your next dinner table, um, but if you were to do a random survey and ask people how have they ended up in the bra that they're in, a lot of them, it's purely by chance. Some of them, they have been measured. Some of them have been measured and have been given the wrong size. Okay, and I'm I I used to be a bit shy about saying that, and now I'm not anymore because those women have gone with the best will in the world to support themselves better. The puns are endless, by the way, um, and they have ended <laughs> up not through the fault of the fitter, but through the fault of the process that that store has decided to use. They've ended up in the wrong size, and then they wear that size forever, and they're the ones who want to take the bra off at six o'clock because they're uncomfortable because it's the wrong size. And don't even start me on pregnancy, the changes that occur over the menstrual cycle, the changes that occur during menopause. Our breasts change over our lifestyle, over our lifetime, and women don't know this because nobody's well, told them. One of the things that sort of preceded this conversation, there's a few things where I've sort of seen your your stuff and you've 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 influenced um, other content we've done before. But recently, we, we were talking about any content gaps we might have across our library and our network and stuff. And 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 this was such an obvious place of which, when you ask the question, then we know that there is it's lacking because there's a risk that sometimes there's a tokenistic sort of catch-all that's that's created whereby it's nodded to but never gone into enough detail. Or the alternative is there's there's a piece that's only on one particular slice of it and stuff. And so the opportunity for us to start somewhere and, and have this conversation where we're going to be visiting the broad broad sense of it is that I want to assure the audience listening to this as well as um, you, if you're willing to be roped into it, is that in, in the new year, there will be opportunity, I think, for us to try and better um, outline this subject matter as well as be able to signpost people over to you because it is something that the more the more we chat about it the more i pay attention in this direction in prep for this conversation asking as i said friends and colleagues and, and some patients about these factors means that then it is, a, it is an area where a bit like many things women's health it's something that just end up kind of going under too much of a radar and it's unlikely to be coincidental you know it's often these things get kind of the, the stoicism of just getting on means that yep. then sometimes it means that then we don't stand up and, and be heard so in this opportunity i think it's it's definitely that um for those that are 
hoping this was a five hour long uh, piece where we could get into all the detail, obviously, you know, go on, go on Siobhan's course. But I think that we, we will, we've been looking at it with regards to therapy live coming up as well as other events, especially our spinal masterclass and, and upper limb masterclass. And there's a few things there that we want to be more cognizant of those factors and make sure that then um, we inter integrate these sorts of elements. But one thing that I def did want to try and get in at the, at the um, for this today is the, a, a little bit of a, I guess, safety and governance type concern that I have over the fact that let's say that we were to wave a magic wand and raise sort of awareness standards across MSK practice for this, then I think there is something to be said for a bit of a concern compared to in the, say, women's health space, which is interestingly, even compared to OBS and gynae, is very much, you know, 90 plus percent female therapists compared to that, where you do have more male gynecologists, but you don't have male women's health physios and stuff for an for various interesting reasons. But one of the things that I think that we'd need to be cautious about over-normalizing would be the implication that then um, a male therapist potentially then having um, almost, I won't say license, but I mean that then thinking it to be either best practice or appropriate practice to have topless women being assessed um, as standard. And, and I suppose that's the thing that you can so understand that that's not me implying flagrant breaches in scope of practice on my male colleagues or myself. I'm just meaning that we know that there will be appropriate contexts in which it's, it, it might be, it might be a sensible thing in certain circumstances, but if those circumstances almost got over, over normalized overnight and it wasn't a sensible gradual evolution, I, I am a bit fearful that those sorts of things could then lead to uh, the, the malpractice as well as the you know uncomfortable situations uh, even for those that aren't meaning anything by it so i just wanted to just give you those again they're very raw thoughts from from me on this but when again in preparation for this conversation it was something that sort of needled me a bit i just wonder if i could invite your thoughts yeah and you know what i i love the fact that you've brought that up because it is something that could as with a lot of things that we do in physio there's there's always i suppose that um, risk, if you like, of there being miscommunication on the part of the physio, or sorry, on the part of the patient or the patient's perception of things. Um, I suppose when I, if, if I kind of take you back through my journey with this, so I set up the physiotherapy service as something for my own patients. So basically just did a combination of um, talking to them about their alignment, looking at the bra that they were in, initially saying that bra is not going to be supporting you go away out and get a better bra realize that wasn't happening so then kind of went into the okay I'm going to have to learn how to do this and that's where I've then ended up getting involved in the research and so on once I realized how effective that was on my patients I then thought I can't keep this to myself it's great if everybody in Cork is supported but it needs to be more than that really um, <laughs> and so that's when I then started training others and when my initial workshop um it's currently it started at seven hours it's gone up to eight and sure god it could go to 10 now but anyway um that very much for me is about raising awareness it's about letting everybody who works with women and girls and any woman and girl know that this is an issue that can cause them a problem over time unless they do something about it. And it can, to go back, I kind of didn't really answer your question about whether something like that can cause pathology. But, you know, like I said, probably a conversation for another day, but certainly when you look at, for example, you know, the, the pressure that somebody will have 
in their Levscap area because their lower traps are not, you know, there there is a lot in terms of what we can see as the loads that are being affected by breast weight. So if we take that as red, that yes, we can prevent further problems in the future. Because when you learn about all the problems, you realize how preventable they are. That's within my introductory workshop. And then after that, if somebody wants to go on to offer the service, they can do that. Now, I'm not trying to advertise what I'm doing. I'm coming to the point of I've had to think long and hard about who are the people who should provide that service? Because that service needs to be provided by somebody professional, by somebody with whom the, the patient can have a professional rapport, but also feel comfortable with them. And so it very much does cross over between MSK and women's health in the fact that it is an issue that is um, you know, primarily female focused. I mean, you do get men who get gynomastia, but um, as, a, as a primary focus, we're talking about women and girls here. And, and I think in the same way as your pelvic health and your OB and your breast cancer, you've got to have a therapist that you can have faith in, that you can have that rapport with. And so it's down to me to select those people appropriately in the first place. So to answer your question in a very, try and, try and answer it shorter, um, I think it's within our professional code of conduct to be mindful of anything that is going to affect a person's well-being. Yeah. And I think to turn that on its head, if we ignore that, we're then actually doing them a disservice again. Mm, so, and that's right, you know, yeah. you said at the very beginning, you said off air about, um, you know, how in your in your youth um, or in your early days that this would have been something that you might have seen, but you would have then gone, oh, gosh, what do I do? And referred it on. Can I just say you were one of very few people who even twigged it then? Because when I <laughs> teach this to physios and to fitness trainers and to yoga instructors and to, Pilates, and to GPs and to midwives, they're all like, well, why did I never connect this? Why did we never think of this? So people actually haven't connected it and haven't seen it. And so you're absolutely right. What I want is for people to be able to signpost people to the next level of the of the solution. But equally, I want women and girls to be educated and to be empowered and to be enlightened. And there's another one in terms of how they can do it themselves. They don't need to sense. rely on somebody else. That's the thing. And, and that's where, obviously, part of the a sensible action to take is to uh, refer on, to delegate, to, to, to you know, uh, integrate that within other services. It's not that our, our point in this and, and future content won't necessarily be that everyone needs to upskill into everything. You know, we yeah. signpost all the time. But yeah. I think it's that... It's just when when interrogating myself as I do when preparing for this and knowing I was chatting to you and hoping to to do further work in this direction in the new year, it definitely made me then think that one of the reasons, and again, I, I definitely am sort of speaking here for myself, but maybe the, that is that is gendered on this, is that you spend rightly a lot of time early in your career making sure that then you are Policing your own boundaries with regards to professionalism for what is the use of therapeutic touch, for example, the appropriateness with any patient, but particularly um, with female patients in 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 the state the state of undress, the position of which you know what what you're assessing, etc. Just making sure that there's a social appropriateness that comes with your own maturity as a person, but your own maturity as a professional, and that 
I can then see an extension of that sensible professional caution, meaning that you then just opt out of boobs and fannies, as as, as my friend Elaine Miller would say. And, and, and it's just that, that that is a step too far because then failure to consider such variables is then really poor care. And it, even right. if it's well-meaning, it's still poor care. And I think that, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't think I've been as bad as some, by temperament, I've not been bashful or shy in that direction and and I've, I've also had the benefit of having so many great mentors and a platform of which i've got to know uh things that have I've, I've got breadth rather than sort of depth on this but even i definitely look back and i can so see that being a phenomenon where you're just like oh no no that's that's that you know, almost like the, you know breasts are, for, breasts are for personal not for professional but the, the ridiculousness of that as a physiotherapist but you know you can understand that logic that we need to find ways to make sure we move past and that's something we've been talking about on this show for for a number of years now supported by you know colleagues of yours Grania and emma and, and elaine i've mentioned have, have really moved a lot of msk professionals on this to help them realize that those are the some of the worst excuses for ignoring uh, menstrual factors, menopausal factors, any other pelvic floor related dysfunctions that are relevant to these issues. And this is another extension of that. Like if you have any discomfort, that's on you. It's still important. You, If you're there to care for your patients, then you've got to find a way to get over it yourself. And, and even if you're not a person that's going to be intervening, you need to have a network in which or, or at least a knowledge of, of where to send people for that help. And it's definitely something yep. that I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm confessing a little bit. I suspect, but it's it's one of those areas where I just know in myself we mu we must do better and we can do better. And the way that this intersects with interesting conversations from everything from biomechanics to capacity to depression to to how we might feel and hold ourselves to social norms, it's an interesting conversation anyway. So we you know, why why should we not be thinking in this direction? And I think you're right in terms of you know we we need to normalize stuff that's normal and. Everything in life is on a continuum, isn't it? There's no, are you happy? Yes, I'm happy. No, I'm not happy. It's a continuum. Mm. And life is a continuum of all of these variables. So, you know, your concern about it becoming overly normalized, which then can lead it into a socially inappropriate situation. And um, we've got to be the ones that make the normalization normal, if you know what I mean, so that it becomes something that, you know, girls now are happy to talk about periods. They're happy to talk about, um, you know, stuff that would have been so taboo and and boys are, you know, so that's great. So we're changing things from the ground level up and that's the way we've got to do it. But that's purely and utterly down to education. You know, that's because we're talking about it now in every format that we can get, I'll talk to anybody about boobs. They know that within two seconds of meeting me, they're <laughs> like, oh, right, okay. Um, regardless of whether it's my grandmother or my grandfather, you know, it is a conversation that for me is normal. And so I will do everything that I can do to continue making it something that people are not shying away about. Because as soon as you shy away from it, you create a, a stigma, but you also create the potential there for it to become inappropriate. Um, yeah. And I mean, I was interviewed by a journalist a few months ago and she actually said, um, so now I won't use the word breasts because that might offend a few people. And I, and I said, sorry. She was like, well, you know, you know, because nowadays. And I was like, uh, no, we'll be using the word breasts because uh, it doesn't shouldn't offend anybody because it's part of us. And she was like, Oh my God, you know what you're, and she was totally like, 
blindsided by herself for the fact that she had even said that, you know. But again, it's the awareness. Like you're aware of it because I've come onto your radar now. So you've been thinking about it. Mm. And unless people actually start to think about it, then it is something that does go under the radar. But by golly, when you do start to see it, you see it everywhere. You see I it bet. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's, and, and, and that's why, as I say, I, I look forward. It sounds now like I'm trying to rope you into a whole program of works with us, but I'm just meaning that generally speaking, to 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 uh, rest assured to the uh, audience, I guess that, that that you've certainly got plenty more content, and, and and we have intentions in this direction into the new year. Well, could you just signpost for our listeners and viewers as to how they can find out a bit more about you, how they can get in touch, where they can interact with some of your content? Yeah, great. Thanks, Jack. Um, and yeah, look, I you, you are roping me in, but that's fine. I'm happy to be roped in if it if it means <laughs> that more women and girls learn about how to manage their own breast weight, then I am happy to be roped in. Um, so I, I my website for with regard to posture fitting is called posturefittingphysio.com. And I am on Instagram as posture.fitting, uh, Facebook posture fitting. LinkedIn is me, my name, Siobhan O'Donovan, and I'm also, I have a posture fitting page on there as well. Um, what else? Twitter. Twitter, I'm not great on. Um, Twitter, I have as posture. Show us the, the t-shirt with the new logo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There she is. That's the baby, the baby physio. physio. So Super. yeah, I, that, that I'm I'm probably, one of my uh, new year projects is to is to get that up and out there a little bit more. <laughs> um, because yeah, I've been very, um, I've kind of kept things, to the posture fitting wording yeah uh, very much at the moment but i do you know women and girls relate to the stuff that's relatable you know so yeah absolutely no it's a great it's a great brand and it's definitely something i look forward to supporting I'm, i've been so glad we've been able to chat it's been a long time coming really with this sort of on each other's radar so i'm glad we've had a chance to get this together i tell you what as much as we want to try and lift taboos and make people less squeamish you imagine if i wore that t-shirt that would look creepy that would it, there's a lot that society has to go through and physio needs to go through before that would be okay because that would just look a bit creepy so maybe that's a sort of a measure of it so in a few years if we've super normalized it and that that would be appropriate then and your brand is so ubiquitous then maybe maybe that would be something we can see as a measure of progress thank you so much for your time today it's been fascinating and I, i really look forward to working with you further you're very welcome thank you Here at Physio Matters, we think physio matters. Become a member today and access over 500 webinars. Get free tickets to shows and access new content instantly. Access at home, work or on a ferry to ensure your CPD is all smooth sailing. Physio-matters.com. More content than you can take through customs.